Be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. The Dalai Lama Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 12 of Emetophobia Health. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia and your host for this podcast. And today my guest is Amanda Rausch, who is um, a therapist from Seattle, Washington. And as well, um, sort of listening in, joining us in a sense that I you know, we can we can see them, but you can't, are the students in her applied psychology class at the University of San Diego. So that is really awesome. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great. It took us a little bit to get coordinated uh, day and time, and I think you're taking leave or something soon. And yes, yes, I am. I'm taking yes. maternity leave coming up next month, which, um, you know, even pregnancy and having children for a recovered emetophobe uh, is is a big deal. So exciting, right? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. That's absolutely fantastic. Of course, I can only see your head. So I guess you're, you're like eight months pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank Do you know you. the gender? Do you care? Do you-, um, you know, didn't really care either way. And but it is uh, female, biologically female. So very excited. Cool. Well, that's cool. But I would have said cool if you said um, male. Yep. Too. Yeah. I don't we know. were happy either way. Yeah. I have um, a boy and two girls oh. in that order. And long, long before there was ever, I think they might have been able to tell, but they wouldn't tell us. They didn't even offer to tell us in that time, <laughs> but kind of nice to know. Yeah. We, um, we found out so early at about nine weeks with genetic. Oh, wow. So it was very. Early. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. My my daughter, one of my youngest daughter, both of them actually, that they had girls um, and and boys, but they, my daughter who lives here with us, she was determined not to have any foofy, gender specific <laughs> pink uh, and and sparkly clothes for her daughter. Mm-hmm. And of course, now her daughter's six. And what's her favorite color? is pink and anything with sparkles on it. I don't know where she gets it because not from us, but it's just. It's so funny. Their it's preference. A, a phenomenon. It's yep. a phenomenon, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Well, on to the topic at hand. Tell um, tell us about yourself um, as, a, as a person and your journey with emetophobia. Yes, absolutely. Um, My journey with emetophobia began at a young age with some uh, health anxiety and medical anxiety, almost as far back as one can remember into grade school, which, you know, of course, no one knew what it was at that time. Um, And throughout high school, throughout college, it really became something that overruled my life was this fear of this phobia of getting sick and, and throwing up and the anticipation of such and the lack of control of it. Um, And it 
continued to increase until I sought counseling for it within uh, my school, the University of San Diego, actually, their counseling center was the first time I sought treatment and learned about it from someone who had experience with it and recovered from it. Um, And that was really life-changing for me. I feel like I got my life back and, and thought, okay, well, this counseling thing really works, especially for this. And this is what I need to do. Um, And so I switched over to psychology and went to graduate school and specialized in anxiety and phobias, but specifically emetophobia. Um, I also became certified in EMDR and then actually began doing telehealth back goodness, before telehealth was a thing, before iPhones and and whatnot, um, you know, where we had the big clunky, you know, computers with cameras that that barely worked and, yes. and whatnot. Right. And um, so I really started working with a mix of CBT and EMDR together um, and kind of made up my own protocol for it as I went and had really okay. fantastic, you know, success, um, tried it on myself, tried it on my clients. And that's definitely a specialty that I, that I have now. I consider myself recovered, um, okay. and absolutely okay. love working in the field. So outside of clinical work, I supervise students throughout uh, the greater Seattle area and graduate schools, as well as University of San Diego. Um, Let's see. And as a person, as you know, I'm going to be a first time mom. Uh, Okay. I have lots of fur babies as well. I've got (laughs) dog and cat and horse and they're my whole life. So can't complain. That'll change. (laughs) (laughs) The whole life part will, will, will change. That's um, what I hear. Soon enough. Yeah. Do you do EMDR over telehealth? I do. Mm -hmm. I do. And can you, can you just explain how, kind of how you do that a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I actually utilize Neurotech's self-tapping units. Anyone can purchase them off the Neurotech website. Um, I'm not affiliated with Neurotech or anything like that, I should just say. Those are the ones that I work with. Um, And so my clients purchase their own tappers, and we're actually able to set up the settings specific to the client, the same as you would in person, uh, whether you're using tappers or eye movements. And so that is how we're able to do the bilateral stimulation remotely. That's really cool. I know of other people that do EMDR Mm -hmm. remotely, but I've never actually asked someone, well, how exactly do you do that? Because it, uh, it, it, it might work with the eye movement as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not certified in EMDR, but I've had it. Yes. I should just explain for our listeners who may not be familiar. uh, The letters stand for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And so um, uh, the um, to completely oversimplify it, mm-hmm. y- you, you know, it, it started out with, um, with the therapist kind of just moving their fingers, uh, right and left, and your eyes go back, right and left, right and left. And uh, that helps you to stop thinking and really get to the deep emotional uh, basis of 
started with PTSD, didn't it? I think. Yes, yes. Um, and and for soldiers, and it was found to be very effective. So um, you have to be a licensed therapist first, and then you take EMDR training after that. So there, it's not its own protocol, but it's kind of added into other things. Um, I found it really cool and helpful. It it didn't like completely, you know, sort of cure the phobia or anything like that, but it but it did um really help me to sort a bunch of things out. So so do you find that it's helpful with emetophobic clients? I assume you have a metaphobic clients. Oh yes, many, many. Um, you know, EMDR in a mix with cognitive behavioral therapy has proven to be one of the most effective treatments that I have seen, especially um, with those surfing, you know, suffering from emetophobia. Um, I think many of the time with CBT, these clients know logically something, right? right. It doesn't always, always translate to the body and they may logically know what they want to think and fear, but their body has a completely different response. And I think EMDR specifically works with that somatic response that comes up, right? That that nervous system response that gets triggered. And so EMDR can really disarm that, um, you know, and specifically in hearing that there's not going to be any type of exposure therapy, or I'm not going to make them get sick or expose themselves mm-hmm. to that, I think works really, really well um, for, for these, so these clients. When, um, when you tell them there's no exposure therapy, do you mean specifically you wouldn't make them vomit? And I think we're all on that yes. page, except for therapists that aren't don't know anything about this phobia. Yes, that um, does not help. Even, that does not work. No, 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 not at all. And we all know someone, people who have tried it. Uh, even the researchers, the most prominent researchers, have don't recommend that. Mm. But do you do exposure of any kind? Do you do any gradual desensitizing to vomit kind of triggers with your CBT. Yeah. And you know, a lot of how it works is, is coming up with a lot of memories, right? Whether it be past, present, um, past memories, present triggers, or future fears surrounding vomiting. Um, And what we do is we pair certain CBT cognitions, the negative and the reframe, and then use EMDR to really do what we call install these, which is to reduce the distress that comes with the negative cognitions paired with those memories and triggers. And then we install a more positive cognition and reframe. Have you um, published any of this? I haven't. People have asked a lot, but I haven't. Maybe one. Yeah. Right. Once, once, once you're back to the fur babies are the most important thing in your life. <laughs> that happens yes, eventually yes, too. Future goals. Future goals. Yeah. Exactly. Or hopefully before that, um, because there's only one uh, publication journal article study. Only one study. I think it was a case study done mm-hmm. on EMDR with emetophobia, and it wasn't. It wasn't really very 
they didn't find, I think, the EMDR to be very helpful. Mm. However, you have this unique perspective of you've been there. So you you would know how to frame mm-hmm. these questions and, you know, much more than especially I don't I could look it up, but um, I don't know how old that study is. I I have it and and we refer to it in in the book that we're writing but that would be fabulous. Maybe you could just write a chapter in our book. Yeah. There's absolutely. a thing. Absolutely. What are you going to you'll have nothing to do when the baby's <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a joke in there for all of the um uh people who, you know, significant others who don't have babies <laughs> of, of, of their partners with babies. Sometimes people think, Oh yeah, you know, the baby sleeps all day. So, you know, got nothing to do, but yeah, I should, yes. I should, you know, I think one of the things that I found too is, um, you know, EMDR is often thought about working for a specific trauma and not all those that suffer from emetophobia have a specific vomit related trauma. Um, and so as someone, you know, who has gone through having this phobia and therapy and training and EMDR around it, it, it goes much mm-hmm. more than just finding a specific trauma, or maybe it's a little T trauma as opposed to a big, yeah. or maybe it's a completely yeah. different cognitive connection that you wouldn't have right. traumatic. Yeah. And it can be also a perfect storm of a number of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that may, some of which may be small T traumas, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, I find that, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with people trying to get at why mm-hmm. they have the phobia because in the end it doesn't matter why you have it right. because the treatment is the same you know, mm-hmm. for however it started, I, uh, I'd say a very high percentage start in childhood. I have talked to a couple of people where it has started in adolescence or very, very late adolescence, but generally it, it almost always starts in childhood. And it may be before you were verbal, mm-hmm. so you can't even remember, you know, how how you associated vomiting with something as being so dangerous yeah absolutely. when it's when it's not dangerous i mean that's the thing oh, right it's i think that i mechanism within our bodies right yes and one of my lovely therapist friends uh who was on the show said this is your body's way of caring for you mm. i thought that was so nice it's mm. true though you know if you're poisoned or you even poisoned with a lot of viral load of mm-hmm. norovirus or something. You know, that's your body taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. And it's yucky and gross and disgusting. But mm-hmm. it's still a good a good thing. Yeah. yeah. I call it normal, natural, and neutral. And mm-hmm. at first, my clients look at me like I'm crazy <laughs> by saying that. Um, but it's neutral because it's, you know, it's good on the one hand. On the other hand, nobody likes it. Right. And it's yucky. Right. So it's kind of a neutral happening. No one's like, yay, I vomited. And very few people are, are like completely traumatized that they vomited unless you're two years old and you're like, what is wrong with the universe that this happens? You know, yes. Yes. Exactly. Little people. And, and, exactly. Yeah, and you know, I find that many say the anticipation is way worse than the act itself. And sometimes the phobia mm-hmm. is that anticipation and that unknown and not knowing. Yes. Yeah. 
I think that's it. The whole phobia, really. Yeah. It's anticipating some big catastrophe mm. that's going to kill you, even if you know logically it won't mm -hmm. kill you, but your body feels like it's going to die. Right. Right. And, and then in, a lot of people say when they actually do it, then they're, they're, they're not anxious anymore. It just is like, it totally goes away right in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, the fear. Um, mm -hmm. Not everyone says that. Some people manage to say, stay freaked out through the whole episode, but right. for the most part, most I think do people... feel, feel better once that anticipation yeah. is gone. And what's interesting is both yes. with myself and many that I've spoken with when they have had instances of actually throwing up, they said, Oh, well that feels way different than I thought it would. Uh, yeah. Right. Almost, you know, I think sometimes those with emetophobia haven't thrown up often or a lot. Right. We misread different body sensations. And so part of, you know, the treatment is really exploring what is actually nausea or not. Yes. Yeah. So many people, uh, emetophobic people talk about being nauseous. Mm. And I, I wonder what it even is. I think for myself, I figured out by the time I was about 25, what was nausea, like actual nausea mm -hmm. where you might vomit and what was just a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you ate, I always say there's no people chow. We don't eat the same food every day, right. like a dog or a cat. Like my cat gets half a cup of, I don't know, Royal cane and something or other. <laughs> That's it every day, yep. you know? So, but what do we do? Like we eat, in fact, if you don't even like your family's like, we had that yesterday, right? You know, <laughs> oh my why are we having so many, so many different factors and sensations that come in? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes on. But I also found that if I tried to explain to anyone online, or even I was in a group early on or in person, um, oh, well, this happens when you're actually going to vomit, that they can actually create those mm -hmm. symptoms. Yep. You know, so if I said your nose is itchy right before, they would get an itchy nose. So I stopped doing that. Yep, absolutely. I, the I, mind I is so powerful. Stop doing that. The mind is powerful. Yeah, it really is. How many emetophobic people do you have in your practice? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, on it. On any given. Well, we have we have a relatively large practice now uh, within my mm. private practice. I think there's about 15 to 20 of us, and I'm um, training a lot of the other clinicians as well on on treating um, emetophobia. Um, I would say probably 20% of our population are. That's that's just amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. If you, uh, I'm Seattle is just like, a, you know, one of my good, great friends and colleagues, David Cousins is there and he runs a group for emetophobic yes, people I in met, Seattle. I've met him and have you? Yeah. Nice with man. Him. I love that there's a group for that. I refer uh -huh. everyone there because it's really very yeah. popular as a phobia. Yeah. And, um, you know, no, yeah. no scientific evidence, but I feel that, um, Emetophobes, we find each other some sometimes yeah. without even knowing. Yeah. Um, and this comes right. up, it's like, oh my yeah. gosh, me too. And so having that network yeah. community, because if you don't have this phobia, you don't understand it. No, that's right. That's right. And they're 
there used to be a, a big forum uh, at emetophobia.org. I mean, it's a, it's a huge forum as far as what it's capable of handling. And people went there. Uh, and then Facebook groups got to be really popular. And now the forum doesn't have traffic. It doesn't have people there anytime you want. But mm-hmm. you can go to the Facebook groups if you want, if you freak out. You know, if you're young and you haven't had any treatment, you find others online and people to say, oh, that, you know, that chicken was probably fine. And, <laughs> right. and then, you know, so there, but there's a lot of reassuring goes on. And then I started a Facebook group for people not to pass. So you, so you can talk about your recovery and yes. not panicking. Great. Yeah. And so it's, it's slowly building, but people have to answer the questions in order to join and half the people don't answer the questions. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, I have to say no. Cause I don't know if you're a bot or a troll or I don't know. Yeah. You, you are, have to be you know? so cautious. Yeah, but but Facebook is seems to be the place now where people and people gather on Instagram as well. There are TikTok um emetophobia yep. videos, you know. Absolutely. Um I'm not on TikTok. I I if I ever want to waste about two hours of my life, <laughs> you'll start scrolling. I sit and scroll through it though. Yep, absolutely. And I, I want look at funny stuff. Um your website is entitled No Stress, No Stigma, mm-hmm. which I just love that. That's the name of your practice. It is. is yes, it? Thank you. Yeah. Can you just, can you talk a little bit about that? It's such an intriguing yeah. name. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I began my clinical work in a very clinical hospital medical setting. Um, and I felt that that just didn't, fit me or my treatment. Um, I tend to be more, more personal, right? I, I mean, I remain professional, but I don't think it needs to feel like a sterile medical environment. It, it can be like talking to a friend who understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I started my own practice, the whole idea was, you know, getting therapy is stressful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Finding mm-hmm. someone, driving there, beginning, figuring out payment and finding the right fit and feeling judged. And there was such a stigma, um, you know, and I really just grew and developed and built this practice on, look, getting therapy should make you feel better, not stress you out. And there right. doesn't need to be a stigma around this. We It takes a village. We have our dentists. We have our hairdressers. We have our therapists, right? I mean, right. Let, let this be something that is destigmatized and, and normal. And that's a huge reason why I started doing telehealth back in 2010 was, you know, to, that's awesome. to reduce yeah. that stigma of coming into a medical center, which is where I was working at the time. And I found that people really opened up more when they were in their own yeah. homes and they can meet my dog and I can meet theirs. And right. You know, <laughs> with you, I'm in sweatpants yeah. right now. And that's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, yeah. I think yeah. it really fosters this open, you know, accessibility and approachability of, of something right. that has really yeah. been quite stigmatized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It It's, you know, I, I talked sometimes to my clients about how before Freud, you know, which is not really that long ago when, in, in terms of right, human right. history, right? 
Um, and if there was anything wrong with you mentally, you were either crazy or stupid. Mm -hmm. Those were the only two diagnoses, right? Oh, are you? Oh, you're not. You don't seem to be stupid. (laughs) Therefore, you must be crazy. Right. You know, and or have issues from your from your parents. And well, and then after Freud, it's all about your mother or or whatever, (laughs) your sexual whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But it had, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it hasn't gone much farther than that in a lot of people's minds in 2022. They think that people mm-hmm. who seek out therapy must be crazy, mm-hmm. you know, or they know they're, you know, they know that they're not mentally challenged, right, probably, right. if friends of theirs, but what, you know, you, you're crazy, you're seeing a psychiatrist. And um, I, I mean, it's a way better way way better than it was better than it was in the 70s the 80s the 90s it and it's getting better all the time we've got you know people like um, celebrities Mm -hmm. uh athletes coming out and talking about their mental health uh simone biles uh what's the fellow of all the swimming the phelps Michael Phelps, yeah. Serena, Selena Gomez, yeah. Selena Gomez, yeah. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's becoming much less stigmatized. It is, um, and we do have and, a way and, a ways to go, still. Yeah, you know. But I I always say, why wait? You know, to the point that you need it, right? It's it's right. sort of like, do you want to put aloe right. on a sunburn, or can we apply a little sunscreen? here, right? Let's, let's focus on prevention and before it gets yeah. here, if we can, and yeah. be stigmatized. Yeah. is a huge part of it. Yeah. I used to be a, a couples and family counselor and uh, I always wish that people would come before there was trouble. Right? Um, yeah. 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 Or before there was very much trouble, mm-hmm. just a little tiny bit of trouble and you could probably iron it out, but, um, Right. One other thing, one other thing I noticed uh, on your website was that um, you also offer or some people in your practice do a walk and talk. Yes. Can you can you just talk about that a little bit? Because I think that might interest some uh, phobic, anxious. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Um, And so, you know, the walk and talks, really, I started that when I was doing telehealth, but a lot of people still wanted to do in person, right? And I'm just not a nine to five clinical office type of person. Um, And where I was working had a beautiful park across the street. And I noticed sometimes people getting anxious in in the office. And I've experienced that as well, sitting in the doctor's or therapy office. And so I would just offer, hey, do you want to just have our session as we stroll around the park or even just go sit on on a park bench? Um, And that's kind of part of taking the stress and stigma out of therapy. And so myself and many clinicians in the practice, we offer walk and talks, which is basically um, a session outside of an office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it gets yeah. a little challenging in Seattle in the winter times, but we do <laughs> have our nice days. And- but you, but uh, it's, it's the same in Vancouver. We could just have an umbrella. Whereas true. if you're in the east, uh, you might be trope. You know, that's true. We are on tromping through coast. Yeah, three feet of snow um, would wouldn't be great. But I often um, I remembered when I was going through therapy, my therapist had um, his office in like uh, the the uh, basement of his house or the first mm-hmm. level of his house, and 
the door to his office was one of those like barn doors, but it was about a hundred years old and it took all of his strength <laughs> to close it. Uh-huh. And so when I was in there, part of, part of my freaking out was I couldn't get out, you right. know, like I, I wouldn't be able to just run out. Um, now I was able to use that mm-hmm. like to, as a positive thing. Right. But I think that, you know, there are times when I think, oh, just walking and talking mm-hmm. would have been much, much less stressful yeah. than what I just went through. Now, what I went through worked, you know, but but I don't even put people through everything I went through. Right. You know? right. Not, not in the same way, because everybody presents differently, don't they? They do. With a metaphobia. They do. Yeah. That is a very, you know, common stressor is not being able to get out and, and mm-hmm. get away. And, you know, if you're seeing someone in a in a building and you've got to leave an office and leave a waiting room and wait for an elevator and go down, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's really, really scary. And so that was really something that we could work up to, right. Start with the walk and talks mm-hmm. and right. move into yes. that. And uh, walk and talks have really seemed to open up a lot of people who were slower to open up adolescents, um, mm-hmm. quieter, introverted people. There's something about just that act of walking and being outside that's grounding in and of itself. Yeah. And it's such, uh, I would think it, it's such a sort of beautiful metaphor for companionship, Mm -hmm. you know, like instead of you're not Mm -hmm. staring at your therapist who's in this position of power, even, you know, in the old days, Mm -hmm. therapist was behind a desk, right. Which is doctors and so on, but you're side by side, which is almost like being on the same side of the table, looking at the problem together. Yes. I I think, which is, you know, takes away that power differential that does make people anxious. It does. So that's really cool. Good for you. I know there are other therapists who um, who do the walk and talk mm-hmm. as well. I, I had one client from England who the only therapy she ever got, she hadn't gone out of her house for eight years yeah. with emetophobia. And she, when the only help she got, she waited and waited on the NIH. Um, sorry, British people, if I've got that wrong, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, whatever your health service is. And the fella came and he made her lie down on the couch and to relax and was trying to talk her through these relaxation exercises. And she kept saying, I can't, I need to stand up. I need to yep. stand up. Yep. And I, and I could just so identify with her. Yes. Oh yes. Because you are so vulnerable lying down yeah. and even yeah. so vulnerable. Um, and, but he just couldn't understand it and wrote a letter saying she was non-compliant oh, and that was the end of any help that she got horrible. from that. Oh, that's the horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell you stories until, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, but, um, I won't. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of misinformation out yeah. there. And so I, I also started telehealth on Skype um, and, and mine, mine is more of a, it's a CBT kind of, I call it now an educational coaching mentoring kind Mm -hmm. of program. So I have a set program and it is exposure based Mm -hmm. um, entirely, Mm -hmm. basically entirely Mm -hmm. exposure based works really well. It, 
you know, it starts really simple for those students in your class. Um, you know, some therapists are like, well, let's start with looking at videos of people vomiting and their clients freak out and then right. they never come back. Exactly. Um, that is a hundred steps ahead of where some people are. Let's yes. look at the word vomit. Let's look at the word vomit with just the V and a bunch of stars after it. Right. And what does it elicit? And let's look at a, a sentence with it in and maybe a little cartoon of a cat that's, you know, black and white coughed up a little hairball, um, yeah. you know, yeah. simple, 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 and go step by step from there um, and, and get to get to the point where then they're giving up safety behaviors, trying to stop avoidance behaviors, even being open to vomiting, not purposely making themselves vomit, but just maybe being willing to taste some yucky jelly beans or spin yes, around exactly. in a chair, you know, or, or do something. Yeah. yeah. But those of you listening who that sounds like you, I would never do that. Of course you wouldn't do that now. If you, if it scares you, then no, you, you're back at the, or let's just talk about your memory. Yeah. You know, what is your memory of vomiting? And that can make anxiety go up as well. So anyway, I'm prattling on about myself, but I'm so excited about you, your practice. I know you've been on my, you're on my therapist list yes, yes. for a while, but um, I did contact everyone on my, because I really wanted to interview therapists and recovered people. Mm -hmm. So um, Amanda Roush, she's on the list on my website, <laughs> folks, and I will put a link to yours in the notes. Awesome. So thank you so thank much you so for much, talking with me. And thank you to all of my listeners and subscribers. There are some costs associated with the podcast. So if you find it helpful, or you really like it, you can buy me a coffee just for five bucks or a couple of pounds or couple of American dollars or something like that. Just scroll down to the notes and you'll see the link for that there as well as some other resources such as my website and the Emetophobia charity if you would like to make a charitable donation in the UK.